From the shadowy lands of Nakmar to the mysterious immemorial city, the underground village of the Nelwyn, and the Vale of Boobs? Question mark. Maybe we'll see it one day. This is Casterly Talk, the Willow Discussions. I am your host for this adventure, Alden Diaz, today here to discuss episode four, The Whispers of Nakmar. This one is an interesting one folks this goes horror this goes haunted house this goes full on into some of the best uses of archival footage i've ever seen and for that you need an expert you need a lore master so i went and i scoured the villages and i went and i found this man some of you may know him as a coyote today we're going to refer to him perhaps as a sorcerer it is our friend adam collins a world champion of movie trivia a cinephile and somebody that explicitly told me hey willow's happening i'm your guy there it is boom adam how are you man uh i'm i'm really excited um i'm living in a time where there's a willow sequel and it's not just a sequel it's a show and Mm -hmm. i feel like this is something like I wrote in my head canon that's like coming to life and it's really surreal and exciting and completely fun. Yeah. It's a really weird time. I've been talking about it a lot on and off air that for the first time ever, Lucasfilm has star Wars, Willow and Indy all running at the same time and being promoted Mm -hmm. at the same time and ramping up and to have Willow there and being treated with so much love and so much seriousness, like, if you had told yourself five years ago, oh, Willow's going to be trending on Twitter and there's going to be, you know, a little yeah. Willow emoji and Warwick's going to get his own sort of Last Jedi sort of performance. Like, it's been really surreal. So we're going to talk about the episode, but for you in particular, I am I was very casual with this world. Nikki was new to this world. Ken's always been casual with it. But you're mm-hmm. somebody that had this already as a favorite. So there's a little bit of a... Not like it must meet your expectations because you're not that type of person, but it's like, <laughs> what what was it like for you or how has it been for you over now we have half the season done um, to see it unfold, especially after a whole childhood of imagining what it might be like? I, um, I'm still pinching myself a little bit, not because I think this is going to eclipse uh, Game of Thrones as the premier fantasy show. But because I grew up with this movie from a very genuine place, it was mm-hmm. um, uh, along with the Princess Bride. Um, they were my real introduction to fantasy. Um, they were my gateway drug in a lot of ways, um, you know, that led me to Lord of the Rings and other stuff. And with Willow, um, uh, what makes the memory even more special is I had it taped onto a, a VHS, an Avanti brand VHS. I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. And it was shoved on there with um, like half of Back to the Future. But I remember wearing out that taped VHS copy for years. Mm. And then when it was finally released on DVD, that was one of my most treasured possessions. And, um, you know, there were rumblings of a Willow sequel sequel for decades. But by the time um, we rolled around to the purchase of Lucasfilm, it started to seem like it was really going to happen. And just the way it just inched into existence, you know, when Solo happened, uh, the chatter from Kazdan, both mm-hmm. Kazdans and Ron Howard and Warwick Davis got me really excited. Um, and I was like, this is starting to feel like when Twin Peaks came back. I think it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. So, yeah, um, very special. And uh, I promised I'd contain myself. I could say a lot more. 
No, no, it's totally okay. I mean, first time Casually Talk viewers, brace yourselves. Returning Casually Talk viewers, you know we love to pontificate and go deep, <laughs> and this is all very, it's very personal. And I think that what's great about it is how it's extremely personal for Warwick. It's extremely personal for Ron Howard. I mean, they had they had Dolman back on us on one of the teleplays here. Uh, it's it, and it's extremely personal for John Kasdan. He's yeah, talking about growing up on it. Obviously, he's, he's was raised much like Bryce Dallas Howard as like one of the Lucasfilm kids right. of the people that were there. Um, but this was his sort of coming out party, like solo. He co-wrote with his dad. Here, it's his thing, and for him to come out. No Lawrence Kasdan. Ron is there, but he's not directing the episodes. Um, we have an amazing team of people. I want to give huge shout outs to Debs Patterson and Julia Cooperman, the director and writer of this mm -hmm. episode, who did such a great job. The whole team they put together has been wonderful. Um, and like you said, it was a slow sort of build. And I think that it has taken in some of the same ways that Star Wars has. You know, it's Star Wars is an unavoidable thing to talk about because you've got Warwick yeah. as Lucasfilm. Um, it took, I think, the natural choices and maybe not the ones that you'd expect, but in the most self-aware way where I love that the younger generation, you know, starting to really get into it now, mm -hmm. the younger generation is having some of the same reactions that I'm sure Willow diehards like yourself are having. They are asking, well, why aren't you doing as much magic as maybe we thought you were? Why right. did you bring your people underground? Like, they're us. And and they're handling that in a great way. In the same way, Ray says, Luke Skywalker, I thought he was a myth. They've put Willow on that level. So how has it been for you uh, in terms of challenging you in, in fun ways? Like, I'd imagine growing up with it, you probably did think that Willow would be a, a, a Rizel level sorcerer by right. this period. Yeah, you you yeah, you'd think like he'd reach that that maybe, you know, maybe not full Gandalf level, but mm. you know, like maybe a step below Dumbledore, like getting yeah. there. Um Willow is just so interesting because it exists in this very specific place where it's loved by the people who grew up with it. Um, and most people who go and watch it later in life at least can appreciate it. Like, oh, these are great practical effects, great mm -hmm. cast, great score, um, all that stuff. But what is nice about it is unlike Star Wars, it's not as precious. And I mean that in a good way. It's yeah. It has some freedom to be adapted into other things. And you're seeing that episode to episode with all of these throwaway references the fun kind of exposition that isn't over-explained. You get the exposition and the throwbacks and the and the flashback scenes, which are cool. I'm here for the Chimerian cuirass, but at the same time, I also like hearing them just bring up nymph butter and then it just move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's handling the... It, it's got a gravitas, but it's also got such a self-awareness. Yeah. I talked about it on Twitter. It's down to the needle drops, down to the choices of when it's going to be CG versus when it's going to be practical. Like mm -hmm. the, the, the wear rat in the last episode uh, was a that. great example. Yeah. Just like, just do it. Stop motion. Why? Because we can like, it's only yeah. going to be there one shot. You might as well. And there's a very, we might as well energy to the show. And like you said, it can be a lot of things because it did go away and there were books. It wasn't a completely utterly dead property for 30 years, but it didn't have, there was no Willow EU. There was no Willow and right. and things like that. So to have that freedom, we've done sort of teen romance comedy here. We have Borman, who's kind of like a lovable rogue. We have mm -hmm. Willow dad era, and we've 
started to mash these genres together in a very self-aware way where the original film is so 80s this one is like well yeah. for pushing it 20 years forward it would have to be very 2000s and it feels like a 2000s show it feels like it should air after buffy it feels like it should air after smallville and things like mm-hmm. that that i really appreciated about it absolutely it has those fun genre vibes from that era um it's playful it's anachronistic in a good way mm-hmm. i like i like the contemporary uh, references and dialogue personally. I I know they're pushing the envelope, but it's because they can and they should because so many of these properties are so buttoned up um, or buttoned down, however you want to look at it. And it just gets really, things get really tight. And I feel this looseness, this, this, uh, you know, jazz vibe with Willow, with Willow that really is uh, uh, exciting. Yeah, it's true. The fantasy landscape right now, we're in such a boom. We were talking out there. You've got Witcher, you've got Wheel of Time, you have mm-hmm. Outlander, you have Thrones and all of its spinoffs, House of the Dragon and the upcoming ones. You have yep. Rings of Power and it just goes on and on and on and, and everything is expanding. And so when everything's going right, why not go left? Why We don't need thighs and vows. We can have boobs and ass and you know idiots and like... Exactly. It just feels very like if we're going to be the one that's for families, why not be sort of the teen Friday night, like has a forward momentum. It it never stops feeling like Willow the movie, right. but it, these are the kids that grew up in that world and, and down to Elora, who, as we get into this episode has, is, is sort of, they all sort of become media literate of the original mm-hmm. film in certain ways. They all, this is their, this is when I think, and it perfectly placed the mid-season point. I don't know uh, how, how you feel about it, and feel free to jump in if you agree, disagree, have anything to say about it. I think more so than ever, the new heroes are solidified here. This feels like we left the haunted house. It was daylight, and now there's a forward direction. And never, not everything's resolved. Borman's still hiding things. Right. Uh, Kit and Jade have not yet professed the very obvious romance, which Borman <laughs> even is aware of. Um, but it feels like we all dealt with something and or began to deal with something in the case of someone like Graydon. Certainly. Like this was this was a really great um uh chance for them to uh kind of get um you know solidified not only as characters but as a group. Mm-hmm. Um as the uh, as Kit proclaimed uh, uh the fellowship. Um mm-hmm. and what I liked about this episode was it was a way for the characters to all get caught up on in on a similar level with the events of the film that we, the audience understand. Yeah. Um, and it is fun to go back and, and, and get these cool callbacks to the movie, but it all is in service to the plot. It's not cheap nostalgia in my opinion. Um, and uh, for me, the big holdout up until this point was Kit getting over her resentment towards Elora. And that was a huge turning point for me. I needed that as a fan of this show, as much as I'm enjoying it, I was getting frustrated with that. And I'm like, I can't have Kit hating Elora this whole season, or I'm yeah. going to get really frustrated because I like Kit. Um, and I'm glad that not only did they find resolution, but in doing so Kit really um, endeared herself more to me as a character because she, she did swallow her pride a little bit. Yeah, I think she came to a really natural and interesting place. And the episodes are doing a good job of 
um, as they become the sum of a, of a greater whole, they're starting to improve other beats. And so when you get Kit and Elora finally having their breakthrough and having a connection, Elora reckons with the fact that there's blood not directly on her hands, but on the on her legacy. Like it's just, people are she is of that much importance, and she's trying to reckon with that. That these two innocent people, uh, Hubert and, and and Anne, I believe it was right, Anne, uh, the Bombadils, that, yeah, one hundred percent the Bombadils. Uh, that they just they died out of loyalty just to the concept of her. Whereas the concept of her has haunted Kit because she projected the absence of Mad Mart again onto her theory, which Borman even points out. Borman, you know, we, we later get the information slowly but surely that he was Mad Mardigan Squire and was on this quest, so he knows him. But it's like Kit is finally seeing, I think, you know, now that push is coming to shove, you know, Graydon's dying, everyone's going through these horrific experiences. Jade is coming off of having to murder Valentine by necessity, having to cut him down. Everybody is sort of at that threshold point, And she's finally realizing it's not this girl's fault that she is who she is. She didn't ask to be that. And, and they're both reckoning with that in some interesting ways. So we're looking at this episode. We're already getting into it, even just in the overview. I think it's safe to say a lot of, lot of earned yeah. development this time, this week, a lot of yeah. earned development. Tons of earned development, everybody dealing with some sort of internal battle um, as Nakmar itself, the castle of Nakmar, becomes uh, the antagonist for the episode. The threat of the Gales is there and we glimpse them at the end, but there is no direct battle. There is no duel. You get uh, General Kale as a spirit for a hot second. Um, I screamed. Super cool. I immediately thought of you knowing we were going to talk. Um, like I said up top, I mean, the use of archival footage here, just from like a TV standpoint, it's one thing to cut away it, and show it. It's one thing to prologue it, which was great. Uh, I love the storybook that they've been using to frame things. But to use the special effects to make them apparitions, to make them spirits, to make them active parts of what people are witnessing the shot of Rizel and young Sorsha coming in, and then the new heroes burst through them uh, thematically on a meta level. Everything that that is was so well done. So you've got notes, you've got thoughts. We'll talk about all these characters. Who or what would you like to start with in terms of episode four? Well, I really liked the the ending last week. Um, uh, you know, it ended on a very exciting note. It's eight episodes that are coming out. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, we are at the halfway point. So I think getting to Nakmar, um, um, it was sooner than I expected, but it didn't feel too soon. It didn't feel forced. Mm-hmm. And um, and getting to step across the threshold this week, it it was frankly like I'm I'm not a Rise of Skywalker hater, but yeah. I there are certain things I wanted to see more of in that movie that I didn't, and one of those was spending more time in the Death Star wreckage. Yeah, on on Kef Beer. And uh, I got that this episode with um, with Nakmar. I got exactly what I wanted um, because I I love that castle in the original film. I love the practical sets combined with the matte paintings. That's one thing I, I really enjoy about the presentation of the original movie is they use matte paintings in such a, a seamless and really imaginative way. Mm. And it really expands uh, the scope of the show. 
uh, or the movie, and in this case, the show, it's digital map paintings, of course. But going back to Nakmar, they nail so many things. Bav Morda's throne room, the high, uh, the high tower, uh, you know, where they perform the ritual of the 13th night. All the imagery really works. And I loved being immersed in that setting. Um, and like as a as a fan of the movie, I always wanted to see more of Bab Morda's castle. She's one of my favorite cinematic villains. And I, I, I'm not saying that lightly. I think Jean Marsh is amazing in the original movie. I think she's terrifying. Yeah. And I love that they're honoring the legacy of her character with this because she's basically a demonic nun who's dressed like a mummy underneath. Mm-hmm. And her, she's so committed to it that I believe her that entire movie. She's one of the most threatening villains I've I've seen in a fantasy or any kind of movie. Let's jump right into the Bab Morta stuff. I'm so mm-hmm. glad you brought her up because having just rewatched it and we did the, the rewatch with Nikki and it was his first watch. And so and Bab mm-hmm. Morta was something we, we really liked because, you know, George is coming off of the original trilogy and he's got, you know, Palpatine. But then to come over here and do more of a you know a straight up fantasy world not a space fantasy where do you go with that she has similar thematic energy to the sith and to some of the ideas that george likes to play with in his worlds of they cling to life they are motivated by fear bev morta's entire thing is prophecies hang over her of her own downfall whether that's laura dannon or even her own daughter your by the way your kid's gonna betray you it's like you got two prophecies you got to deal with in this film to give her an origin story here that starts in light where that for Willow, when he started talking about her, I was pretty flabbergasted. Like she was, you know, she was a young person like you once, you know, she had potential. She was full. I don't I don't have the dialogue written down. Maybe you do, but uh, yeah. I, how did you feel about that to suddenly like, she's not here. It's not like we did a DH flashback, but again, like you said, the exposition hits and flows really well. I, I think they nailed it because um, with Bav Morda and Mad Mardigan in particular, um, their shadow looms over the show in a really uh, interesting way. Um, uh, and what I love about um, the Mad Mardigan stuff is obviously his legacy. Uh, you're seeing that through his children. You're yeah. seeing that through Borman. You're seeing that through Sorsha. But also Bav Morda's, uh, you know, like I, I know she's not literally the crone. But every time I hear the crone, I'm thinking of the essence of Bad Morta. Because, and 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 I feel like in this episode, it was it was lined up in a really interesting way. Like the crone, whatever this entity is, obviously Bad Morta as as the blood of the six or whatever they call it is an yeah. extension of that, and it just solidified how menacing she is because. The thing about Palpatine is, it took us two, uh, three movies to get there to really see him like. Uh, what he could do right. and Bav Morta it, it she's just so all-powerful in such a terrifying way um uh, down to the point where she turns the army into pigs a sequence that has haunted me for a very long time <laughs> yeah I love the the shout out here um that's a it's a great it's a great meta moment of acknowledging like, yeah, we all know what scarred you in that first one, but we're also going to do a comedy beat as they're eating their pork. I'm assuming it had to be pork um, or ham. And- yeah. There was a little hoof hanging off yeah. of Borman's a uh, uh, little slab of meat. <laughs> like, and you changed and- them all back into people. Oh, okay. All right. We're done. Let here. me ask you this, Alden. When you yeah. rewatch the movie, yeah. um, 
that sequence, there's a lot that's terrifying in it, but the part mm-hmm. that always really disturbed me was that shot of Mad Mardigan's hand turning into a hoof, like how it it's gets all hoof. swollen. It's the hoof. It really is, messes with me. It is all the credit in the world to that 80s ILM crew because it is gross. And I know that in in Light and Magic, they focus a lot. Uh, by the way, if you haven't seen Light and Magic, anyone watching, check it out. It's amazing. Um, they get into Willow and they use the Rizel changing animals as something that was a big challenge for them um, to explore the ILM journey. I, I'm dying to talk to them about the pig stuff because the, the, the teeth and everything and the faces that, but, and, but it's the hoof. You're right. It's, it's the creepiest part. Um, and to establish where that power comes from, it's a lot of the show does a lot. I mean, the movie mm-hmm. does a lot too. There's a lot of lore that gets dropped. It's sort of like, again, putting it in star Wars terms. It's as if we are now saying, well, Bav Morda was just Vader. The crone is, you know, the this greater thing. What is her deal? Where does she come from? You get to see Kit in funny ways. Like, mm-hmm. are you are you plundering my grandma's my dead grandma's castle? Like, you get stuff like that. <laughs> but then you also get the same thing evoked in a serious tone with her looking at that tapestry and that painting of sort of looks like her, but is so also, eerie. Yeah, it's really powerful. So Ari Aster. Yes. There. Yeah. Totally. Totally. <laughs> There's a lot of like Ari Aster, a lot of ambiguity. We were talking off air. It's very uh Lawrence Kasdan, you know, in terms of the the Dagobah Dark Side mm-hmm. Cave. It's it's very um David Lowry, like Green Knight. Is it happening? Is it not happening? Um, yeah. How much of it, it can Kale actually hurt Jade? We don't know. I so this is I don't know if this was established in previous episodes. Was was this our reveal that Kale was responsible for the death of her family? I think it was. I want to okay. say it was. Okay. Um. I, it it feels like that was because all we knew is that they died at the barrier, which okay. well actually well then that may, that's an interesting lore question though because the barrier goes up after the events of one, mm-hmm. so Kale would have been dead already. Yeah. But maybe maybe the implication is that there are other generals that looked like that, but we know it's Kale because of subtitles. So that's interesting. Maybe it's just here's this thing, and then also, uh, you know, you're dealing with your family's death. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how direct that's supposed to be. It's an interesting question, but yeah, all of that stuff. Can Kale actually hurt her? Uh, did Alora's mother? when we revisit the beginning of the first film with Alora getting to, yeah, was she hodoring? Was she hodoring? Does she actually perceive her? Is Mm -hmm. it a causal loop? Is there, is there something to the fact that Borman thought the Lux Arcana was gone, but it was on his belt the entire time, all that stuff being thrown at you just for theme and then not being answered is stuff that I love. I love it when fantasy just says, Hey, here it is. Think about it. So what did you grab? Let's, we were talking about Bad Mortal. Let's finish that stuff up. What did you grab as a, as a hardcore Willow fan from knowing that Bad Mortal started from a place of good and was corrupted? It, it, it helps. Um, uh, I, I think it adds more um, depth to Sorsha's uh, turn to good. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think even though Sorsha is obviously uh, more or less a benevolent leader, she is a human being and she's not denying her past. And I'm eager to see more of Sorsha. I miss her um, actually. Um, so I, I hope we see her more next week. Um, 
but I think that really um, elevates uh, the capacity for good in any bloodline. Yeah. And uh, not to tie this all back to Rise of Skywalker, um, I think you know it could have been handled with a little more depth, but I appreciate the idea behind a Palpatine relative being a good person being there. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, and I, I think, I think that's handled in a more interesting way in the Willow movie with Sorsha, uh, Sorsha's turn. Mm -hmm. And then um, in this show, uh, you know, we see Kit, um, you know, she seems pretty firmly, um, you know, committed to her ideals, her ethics, uh, even though she's, you know, a little rebellious. But when you see her face in that tapestry, it unsettled me and it made me realize, OK, this is Kit realizing um, Alora might be magical. Alora might be the destined you know, sorceress, but I'm part of this bloodline and I need to be mindful of what I have the capacity to do um, because my mother seems to have a hold of things but she keeps reminding me that blood's still in my veins mm -hmm. and that must, that, that seems to matter. Yeah. And especially for Eric. I mean, you get the idea we, we get in the pilot. They're like, they came for Eric, but it, it you almost get the idea. Like they would have taken either twin. Maybe we'll get into that. Maybe it's just some blood of Bav Morta and therefore of the six. I'm sure they'll mm -hmm. get into that more because the cliffhanger here is Eric. We're going to be jumping into his and getting those shots of the immemorial. Glad to have him back. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just on a note about that, too, you being such a, a Willow diehard, how perfect are those two as Val Kilmer's kids? I think it's great <laughs> casting. Um, uh, yeah, like uh, Kit uh, definitely looks like uh, she could be Val Kilmer's daughter. And yeah. Eric looks like he could be, um, you know, Sorsha's uh, yeah, son. Yeah, really. Yeah. And and so like it 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 all meshes in a really uh, believable way. Yeah. Um, but uh, I also like the legacy of the name. You know, we've discussed that previously, and right. and I'm glad that Eric's legacy is honored here. Um, but uh, I, I'm I'm interested to see how what the dynamics going to be because our group is solidified so much that presumably we're going to get back to Eric at some point. And um, I'm not, you know, like terribly concerned with the love triangle specifically, but how are things going to shake out with not only Eric and, and Alora, but the dynamic with his own sister, because she's starting to warm up to this girl. Yeah. It's getting to the point now where everybody's going to have to start to confront questions that they've been sitting on. And you get the idea that, Kit's been the more contemplative of the siblings, but they've both been privileged. And, and even though it's just like a sliding scale, like when we first meet them, we're like, oh, Kit's the serious one. And Eric is the, the you know, rich, spoiled sort of head in the clouds guy. Mm -hmm. But then when you get that reality check of no, 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 if Eric's out of the equation, you are still privileged head in the clouds. And we find out that Jade originally uh, was ordered to train her and hang out with her and look after her and all that stuff and how I've been letting you win and your training has been a little bit, you know, you've had it kind of easy and the silver spoon in your mouth and they've all had to reckon with that. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, you mentioned uh, the love triangle as well. There's also the grade and stuff, but as mm -hmm. we keep focusing on kit here, uh, her journey in this episode, I think is so interesting and so poignant because of all the stuff that you said about, coming from the legacy of darkness, but then having to choose to choose the light 
but also having to realize sort of what your place is. And I think that when you realize that all the things you thought about your father aren't true, when you realize that your preconceived notions about Elora aren't true, I think she's having an interesting, interesting uh, take on the hero's journey, which is, oh, maybe I'm like not special at all. Um, mm-hmm. which I think is like an interesting thing. And maybe the only ways I am special are in bad ones, bad yeah. contexts, uh, I think is, is really interesting because, you know, we, we use Star Wars again, because this is Lucasfilm. It's an interesting thing where normally on casually talk, we, we doesn't come up as much, but it's unavoidable. When you look at someone like Ray, at least Ray has, you know, the force to turn to and has the greater power and the greater destiny and everything. It's not like Kit has, something it's not like the sorcerer's sword is magical it's not like x y or z she is just a pretty good you know pretty good with a sword princess and i think that she's coming to terms with the fact that i I joked about the fellowship and maybe i'm the mary or the pippin like maybe i'm not everything that i thought i was was an interesting way to take a character, especially when they're the kid of the two heroes and uh, maybe um, she just covets those whose gentle wind smells like cinnamon. Yeah. Uh, I, she really, she, she has, she and Borman go hand in hand. Like it's a, it's a testament to both of those actors that their lines play because I know there's a lot of talk nowadays of like quote unquote Marvel humor. Mm-hmm. And I know um, like that, that's something that um, a lot of people are sensitive to. I think quippy humor is delightful when it's earned and it's earned in the show with these characters because the actors are committed to it. It, The world uh, necessitates that kind of behavior. It's, it's established in the, in the Willow movie um, with one of my favorite lines. Uh, It's so simple, but it's when Roselle gets turned into a goat and she's like, well done, mad Mardigan in her goat voice. And he goes, "Uh, what the hell happened to you? Like genuinely, just like yeah. what? Like he has no point of reference of, of why she turned to a goat, but he's got he's got bigger fish to fry. Yeah. And um, I love when like how Kit will get fixated on something that's you know obviously heavy, but she she like Borman, you know, and it might be a coping mechanism is able to move on to the next thing with her sense of humor, with with her her ability to disarm things. Yeah, and she and it comes from a place of insecurity, which I think is such a big theme of the show, um, which is a great way, you know, to to transition into the the larger larger group, and then we'll we'll hone in on someone else. Like this whole show has been a lot about fear and insecurity. I mean, we when we find Sorcia again, oh, uh, Tirasleen and Galadorn are behind a barrier. When we find mm-hmm. the Nelwyn again, they're underground. When we find Alora again, she's been hidden away. Everybody has pulled the Last Jedi Luke and has gone to their respective island in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them for good reasons. Like, Sorsha and Willow's disagreement comes from the same place. Of, yeah. We want her to be okay, but Sorsha is, you know, the daughter of the original villain coming from at it from a, we should not lean into magic place, whereas Willow is like, I'm burdened with this knowledge that she's going to die at some point, no matter what, which does get poked again in this we don't explore it but Alora now is like he's not telling me something the show does a great job of mm-hmm. week to week the characters finding details out and asking questions like 
what happened to your people? Like what happened in the Nelwyn? What what actually went down? Why do you only have Mims? Where you have no you don't have no wife, you have no daughter, there's no there's no Migosh, there's like what actually went down? Yeah. A lot I, of questions linger. I have so many questions. And I um to get into the willow of it all. Um yeah. I just I can't say enough about Warwick Davis in the show. Um I know we've been talking a lot about the other characters because they're great. Um, but uh I I need them to always bring it back to Willow. Um mm-hmm. and they do such a good job of that. And what I love about Warwick's performance in this is he is decidedly cantankerous. Like like he was he was grumpy even as a young uh character in the original movie. Yeah. But his sass, his 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 impatience uh for youth and um uh you know impulse I I just really appreciate how blunt Willow is at this stage in his life because it makes sense, you know, like for him to just cut to the chase with these, these characters scene after scene, it, it feels true to his character. It's not just played for a laugh in my opinion, because not everyone's always laughing at him being grumpy. Um, I do love the line where Kit says, Oh no, Willow's going to be pissed. Cause I feel like that sums up like a lot of the, group's dynamic like they just dread mm-hmm. low flipping out but i feel like his frustration is merited because he he is a sorcerer but he's a sorcerer of limited means and there's a price to his magic and you see it every time he has to cast one of these spells and i feel his pain he he he, he physically you know like keels over every time he has to do one of these spells and you know it's it, it, it just makes me worry about him when he has to eventually confront something even worse. Yeah. And it's an interesting way to take what was so beautiful about the third act of the first film. Um, you know, what Matt Mardigan tells him uh, the, the whole, this is, this is war, not agriculture and yeah. how Willow's trickery and his sleight of hand wins the day in the original film to to thematically tie that in and say, yes, that is valid, but also sleight of hand will not actually solve the problem, I think was a great move for these writers to do where the whole time it's like, oh, like Graydon's got all this knowledge and all this history. And we will talk about him because, oh boy, someone had a dark horse. So story. many cans of worms. Yeah, so much with him. But oh, Graydon, poor Dermot. Great, I know. Graydon's got this, this line where he says that he used the, it sounds like he says Fibonacci sequence. I know that's not what he said, um, <laughs> but he's like, you know, oh, Willow defeated Bavmorta here with the something, something, something. And Willow just kind of looks off to the side like, they don't know about the pig trick. They yeah. don't know that I uh, actually was a novice at the time and that the journey wasn't as fruitful as maybe it has gone down in legend to be. And, and which is a, a different sort of take for a legacy hero because you know it, it warwick himself has brought up mark hamill and last jedi but but luke could still do it all but the the thing with willow is can he could he at a time you know silas seemed to have a little bit of knowledge of like don't waste it on me is it x amount of magic yeah. that you're being weakened like we don't know there's still some ambiguity but thematically um you know, especially when you tie it in with the falling out of, with Sorsha, where she says, like, you're like the best guy I ever met, but you're not an actual sorcerer. Like, 
it's it's putting it in the context now of not that ingenuity and sleight of hand and resourcefulness and cleverness aren't good enough, but that yeah, they're they're, they're to tap into something more is going to take uh, is going to take a different type of breakthrough. You know, what is the journey for the second half of your life is is a mature thing to to unpack. And I, I feel for him because there is with Willow, despite how noble he is and how pure of heart, there is ego. Mm -hmm. I'm the high Aldwin, not you. Like he can't help, but like still like give into his pride. Yeah. And I think that's what makes Willow interesting, even as an older character, because he, yeah, he's grumpy and all this stuff. But the thing about Willow is he is not part of some special bloodline. He doesn't, he's not some spirit that gets reincarnated like Alora. He is just a guy and he's got limitations. He has physical limitations, but he has will, he has discipline and, and it's obvious that he can perform magic, but it comes at a cost. And I, I can only assume that Alora, given her, you know, kind of predestined, uh, uh, bloodline, that she probably has a higher capacity to deal with magic. I would assume when she gets to the point where maybe she's a little more experienced, magic wouldn't take as much of a toll on her as it does on Willow, similar to Bav Morta. Cause she was the blood of the six, as we discovered in this episode. Right. You know, I, I, I like the idea that there's a separation between certain kinds of sorcerers in this world, that if you, if you are imbued with certain qualities, of a bloodline or a prophecy, what have you, yeah. that's going to affect your capacity to do magic. Whereas Willow is just a guy. And um, I, I, I say this all of the time about the original movie. What I love about it is there are similarities to, you know, hobbits and Frodo and Bilbo like starting out, but the difference with Willow compared to Frodo and Bilbo is Willow was already a father with two kids Yep. He had, and a wife. He had bills to pay, land to farm. He's a farmer. Like he's he's constantly working, looking after his children, and then bam, a child of prophecy lands in his lap, and he's and he's an amateur magician at best, and he has to go figure this out. And now everyone's just constantly like yelling at him for not like, hey sorcerer, can can you like lift this wagon? Hey sorcerer can you, you know, fix our friend over here? And this is after, after Silas dies. And yeah. I love our, our, our characters. I love our, our heroes here, but how callous can you be that after Willow loses his, his dearest friend? Cause Migosh is gone at this point, presumably the actors passed away sadly. So I assume the character's gone. Hmm. So Silas was his, his new best friend and he just lost him. And even in the wake of that loss, Everyone's like, hey, sorcerer, do something, do yeah. something. And he's just gritting his teeth and taking it just like he does in the original movie. And it's a lot of pressure, like you said, it, where that pride meeting that pressure, meeting those expectations. And where does that come from? Like it, it was jarring in episodes one and two to see, uh, you know, yelling at Sorsha, like, I won't come back here after this disrespect. Mm hmm. Just as much mine as she is yours. It was very wrathful, but then when you put it in the context of uh, that was five year old Alora, it's only five years after. Like this is a guy, like you said, that had a family to provide for, who was constantly being bullied, looked down upon, 
Um, you know, he was, he was constantly under the threat of either losing his farm. I believe the be- beginning of the first film is like, you'll have to go work in the mines. Like he's, he's got Virgo cut biggest Virgo. jackass in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Virgo cuts making his life hell. And mm-hmm. he is still trying to shake that chip off of his shoulder, but he wasn't given the tools to do so. I mean, as we know, and the, the show echoes that like consulting the bones isn't real. Mm-hmm. Fingers yeah. test isn't real. It's like, he didn't have, he had the tools to be great by the standard of the Nelwyn, which doesn't make the standard of the Nelwyn less valid, but it means you're going to need more. And so, and what does he need more of? Trust, which has been burned. He's going to need these young heroes. Like, that's mm-hmm. why, you know, that the first film, it has, you know, a party. You've got a group, but he's really going to need to depend on, not just Alora, but uh, but Kit and Jade and Borman and, and Graydon and everybody involved, um, even more so than in the first adventure because Rizel's gone, uh, Chalindra's yeah. gone. Like there's, you get the idea that he really is. It's either it's just him and all the evil magic users, bad magic, as Graydon says, and it's an interesting place to find him in. Like everything about Willow is screams insecurity because it's it, it's like most of these legacy heroes that we pick up on with later, like we have with the original star Wars trio or with Maverick or with Deckard in 2049 Mm -hmm. or whatever, we get the idea that there have been adventures since good, bad tragedies, victories, whatever with Willow, you almost get the sense that he did the one and then that was it. And he, he went and got pissed. He went and got pissed. He went and got pissed, went home High Aldwin probably passed away. He became High Aldwin and mm-hmm. did bone stuff for the next 20 years. Um, and <laughs> you, you almost feel like the, the training that he was pleading with Sorcerer to do was also training for himself. Like when he brushes people away, like in this episode telling Alora, like, if you're not going to be useful, just go, go away, go away while he's reading the book. Yeah. You almost get the idea like, he doesn't want to reveal to the kids that he's still learning on the fly. Yeah. He's got a lot of pride, like we were saying. Um, But I think he, he has an undue amount of shame that he feels sometimes that he, he shouldn't feel Mm -hmm. Um, shame that, you know, he outwitted Bav Morta, but he did it with a trick, not sorcery. And even though we see that as a virtue, I think Willow, sees it as a detriment because he's always been in the pursuit of becoming a powerful and wise sorcerer. And I, and it's, and it's so obvious to me, given Warwick's performance that Willow is projecting confidence. He's projecting wisdom. He he has both, but he's putting on a front a lot of the time around these young characters because that's the expectation. And he's been picked on his whole life, not only by, people bigger than him physically but by his own people we saw that with Mm -hmm. burgle cut in the original film we saw that with a lot of his peers and despite all that he's still looking out for the best interests of his people and we have to fill in the gaps for now with kaya and ranan i'm i'm preparing to cry my eyes out when i learn the fate of them at some point but i take comfort in the fact that mims is still here and Mm -hmm. um uh, is it annabelle davis who plays her yeah She's terrific. And even though she, her voiceover was very sinister in this episode, I was excited just to hear Mims's voices again, because I'm like, more Mims, please. Yeah, I think she was <laughs> great. And I, I loved the, that scene where she called upon her father to fulfill 
um, what he had always been trying to fulfill. It goes back to that beginning, like, you mm-hmm. know, the high old one in the first film. Do, do you have love for this child? And he couldn't deny it. And that's what's still motivating him, even if when he's frustrated with her and... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Let's transition into her. I mean, Elora in this episode, like we said, still dealing with the the deaths that are on her hands, with with, with the the lies that the crone version of Valentine put into her mind of this is on you. Um, But also the affirmation that she gets because she didn't know that her her seedling spell had worked she didn't get that and she gets it from the person that's been treating her like garbage which is kid mm-hmm. and so to really lean in to witness the sacrifice from which she comes from of her mother to witness herself as a baby in the ritual bowl um all of those mm-hmm. moments of her getting an idea of her importance but also her capability and then to crystallize it with just the i was born here was such a great moment because to put it in those blatant terms, I thought was uh, it was elegant because the Metallica moment of Nakmar doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a homecoming. It wasn't until she said it that it dawned on me that it was, and it was really, really powerful. It strips the power away from the crone, Bavmorda, um, the Lich, all these, all these villains that they keep talking about. Um, I appreciate that Alora is not someone who simply walks into uh, solutions. Mm-hmm. She she is a character who's who's consistently challenged, and she I I I appreciate how relatable she is because she's been kept in the dark her whole life, yeah. and and she's just now getting a grasp of 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 the depth of her purpose mm-hmm. and. And yet she still isn't losing perspective. She doesn't have a sense of ego here. She wants to help people because that's who she is. And um, I, I like that her experience is coming through as an asset here, um, as someone who has spent many years on and off in, you know, customer service, retail, things like that. There are times where that experience comes into play in my life where I'm like, mm. yeah, I can deal with this better than certain people because of my, my patience has been tested. And I feel that with Alora when she's like, I know brined possum bladder when I need it. Okay. Like yeah. just Kit, just trust me on this. And, and I love when Kit finally finds the jar with the possum in it. She's like, I'm not going to be able to live this down in so many words. Yeah. Um, I, I really like the way their dynamic is coalescing here. Cause it's endearing me to both of them a lot more. And I, I, I'm confident that Eric's going to be like kind of cocking his head at them by the time they all reunite, hopefully. Yeah. It's going to be really fun to see that group come, come back together. Mm-hmm. Uh, we hope we cross fingers. I mean, who knows what'll happen, but it's a, uh, it's an interesting place to put her in with those moments of ingenuity, setting her up as, well, she's just one of the castle maidens and she bakes and she works in the kitchen and et cetera, et cetera. For that to continue to play out um, does parallel Willow, which I think even if you won't say it, 
is a great sort of thematic thing to do because in this very castle is where he won the day from ingenuity that he brought from home. Mm-hmm. And what can she contribute here? She can contribute the power of Alora Dannon. She's exhibited it in expected ways, unexpected ways, burning the faces of the corrupted soldiers. Didn't expect to do that. That's something that I'll have to harness later. But like you said, what do I actually know? What, what did I bring with me from home? Knowledge mm-hmm. of the kitchen. I know, I know what animal eats nightshade, and that's going to be the difference between Graydon living and dying is something that is not magical. It's just knowledge of the world which is again so true i think to the original film you know it 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 pushes people to be their fullest potential and and it's like like willow almost says to me in like other fantasy terms we've we've talked about star wars lord of the rings let's bring D &D in willow is almost like an exercise in characters finding out that they're not the class they thought they were but that they are still a needed class it's like, you know, she's supposed to be the sorceress and she will be, but it's like, yeah, but you also are a baker or you're also a bard, mm-hmm. you're also this, that, the other thing, whatever it is, her knowledge and her, her confidence and her pride, a healthy amount of pride in what she does um, comes through, you know, going back to that first episode where she says like, I'm phenomenal, like, uh, you know, <laughs> at baking and kit throwing yeah. up, you know, what you put in your muffins in this episode, like all of that interplay is so fun but like you said because it's earned and it means something and because they're all learning things about each other while it happens and of course uh something somebody we learned a lot about you know to segue alora is intimately connected in this episode to the effort to save graydon mm-hmm. and the graydon stuff is i think just a masterful move for this show because it takes a throwaway joke from the pilot of yeah, he's only the prince because the other prince fell out of a tree. And we were all like, ah, n- nope. That ended up being an ex- extremely important scene. Yeah. His father is not just generic jerk king, um, which you get the vibe that he was, it was political and his dad sucked. And even Willow, right. his dad right. Willow like your last name wasn't a good one to begin with. Um, the idea that Graydon has already been demonically possessed at least once in some capacity mm-hmm. is terrifying and adds so much pathos and so much weight to every time so far that he's just blurted out magical exposition. Now it's like, it was never a problem, but now it's like, well, of course you would know that. Yeah. Now I understand why you would obsess over it. I, I really appreciate the way things are coming into focus with Graydon's character. Um, I think Tony Revolori is getting to do more in this than he did in all three Spider-Man movies. I think he's charming in those as, as, as the goofy bully mm-hmm. in his own way, but um, it's a series of diminishing returns for flash Thompson in my mind yeah. as those movies go on. So to see him step into this and there's depth to his character, there is, there's an earnestness to his performance. That's really, um, you know, uh, making me like him. Um, but there has been this implied history that we got to see a lot more of this time. And as, as we were discussing like all the horror aspects of this episode, it is a haunted house episode, but it's also an exorcism episode. It's, Mm -hmm. it's absolutely nuts. I mean, I love that Borman flat out calls it out. He's like, I'm feeling optimistic and energized about this exorcism. (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? I am too. Let's do this. It reminded me of the exorcism of Jonah Hill. And this is the end. 
yes. um, a little yeah. bit. Like I was like, I am ready for this. And I love that they play with all of the cliches of an exorcism. He's speaking in voices and all this stuff, but it adds to the development of the story and the, and the character development. Because like when he talks in Mad Mardigan's voice, mm-hmm. Willow doesn't acknowledge that it's Mad Mardigan. Cause that's a painful memory for him. He's Mad Mardigan's someone he came to love and respect and when he met him, Mad Mardigan was speaking, throwing pejoratives at him and just being awful. Yeah. And he has to relive that in that moment and just move past it because he's like, I, I, I got I got bigger fish to fry right now. And I don't need to contextualize that Mad Mardigan was a douche to me to all these people right now. We need to move on. Mm-hmm. And but we as the audience get it because we recognize Val's voice. And yeah. I thought that was really powerful. Yeah, the the when he hits him with the you know bring me some water peck, I, I oh. sort of like sat back in my seat like oh no like and and then it continues like we said we get Mims we get we get Eric like, it, it happens a few times, um, and yeah it challenges our characters to focus and it also brings into focus a huge theme, um, which you you brought him up earlier Gandalf particularly Gandalf the Gray. Um, mm-hmm. telling both Bilbo and Frodo in different verbiage each time, like, don't be so quick to decide who lives and dies. Right. It's a, it's a big theme that happens with these heroes. And Kit, Borman, Jade, everybody kicking around the idea that if this goes south, someone's going to have to kill him. And when Kit is around, they put the onus on her because she brings it up. But I love that in private, Jade and Borman have that moment of, it's going to have to be one of us. They, yeah. they they know that, uh, as Borman says, like, you know, kill someone that's not trying to kill you. It's a lot easier said than done. I thought that 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 theme coming together of uh, of protecting life versus taking it uh, is something that has always been so important to to George Lucas. It's been so important to fantasy in general. And I think it's something that the young characters have to face here, especially as one of them is is reckoning with having just done it with jay mm-hmm. yeah i'm like let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Graydon's just you know he's possessed in the world of willow that's manageable okay mm-hmm. like we can handle that it's not the walking dead he's not infected we don't have to throw him like you know to the wolves just yet like let's have some faith here yeah. and Alora keeps people on the level willow keeps people on the level like but um they have to consider that reality but I do, I, I do think it says a lot that Kit was the first one to jump to that conclusion, and Borman calls her out and says, "You are, you know, what does he say? You you are your grandmother's oh, yeah. granddaughter in so many words, yeah. um, you know, or you make your grandmother proud right now or something, right? Um, and it's like, oof, you know, because Bav Morda's name looms so large, and there's so much shame in that family about Bav Morda, but I also think Kit's starting to realize there's power in that bloodline and it can be used for good. And I think she was, that was pointed out to her really effectively by Willow in this episode, because he said she was bright. She was curious. She had so much potential. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really adding a tragic element uh, and a tragic layer to their family. And, and their family has been one of duality. I mean, in that first film, we have only the two examples. We have Bad Morda and we have Sorsha and to now know that, there was a choice somewhere in Bav Morda's history recontextualizes it. You know, grandma made a choice, mom made a choice, and now daughter will have to make choices as well. Um, it, it brings the morality play even further into focus for Willow um, 
as a show and then for Willow as a character for him to even have to consider these things mm-hmm. he has to be the guide like while they're having these conversations about if it comes to this then we'll have to be this Willow is the one that has to weigh it all as the adult and we can see him even get proven wrong in this episode when he pleads for Alora to not get involved but it was Kit's vote of confidence uh, that that pushed her into doing something that I love in fantasy which I know a lot of people I shouldn't say a lot of people but I know it's 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 a mileage may vary thing um, on the you can do it because you can believe you can do it and we're not going to define it I, I like that kind of stuff when it's poignant. And I think that uh, her sort of memory transference, uh, it's not a physical kiss, but it's definitely shot like it's intimate, you know, the face-to-face of the actual sort of like a reverse, a dementor, but like of good. Yeah. You know, bringing out the darkness uh, with her mouth and with just her, her empathy um, for him, uh, I think was really poignant because it, it's, Again, we don't get all the answers, but when she sees those scars on his chest, she's she's pained by that, and we're pained by that, and we are immediately endeared to that character. And for Kit to say, "I know you could do it," I I believe the non-believer becomes the believer, and that's what sets her up for success. Yeah, and and not only uh, for Kit, but for the rest of the group, um, mm-hmm. I think it legitimizes everyone's uh, investment in this situation. Um, I think there was a certain collective doubt towards Alora that I think there were varying levels of doubt in the group, but I think at this point um, to go through this experience and to basically have to uh, re-experience the climax of the original film in so many ways, everyone understands now the stakes on a very intimate level. And I think if you're going to go back to the original castle and you're going to do these throwback scenes, do it in a way that enhances the perspective of all of these characters. And that's exactly what they did because everyone got to see events that we know as fans of the film from a different point of view, which is very star Wars. Mm -hmm. But then we also got these extra layers of classic villains who are departed. Bav Morda and Kale are dead but I'm still scared of them. I think of general kale and I'm, I forgive the dad joke here, but it's true. I think of him literally every time I eat a salad. I do (laughs) because that was the first time I ever heard the word kale. Mm -hmm. And so like, I just think of him and his, his skull helmet. And, and I also not for nothing. I love general kale's imagery and I love the way they're preserving that in this because it's so iconic. He it like Skeletor was big in the eighties, obviously. And I think general kale is such a terrifying on-screen villain. Whereas Frank Langella Skeletor while fun is kind of goofy. Yes. Um, And so I just think to bring back general kale as an apparition was really scary and effective. And even if he's not a physical threat, I think, um, what are they? The the Bone Reapers or the Bone Raiders or the, the yeah the Reavers yeah the Bone Reavers. Okay, so like they obviously have kale vibes, and mm-hmm. the showrunners are like, we're not gonna like we realize that was badass and we want to keep that up. Um, but I like that we actually brought General Kale himself back into the spotlight for a second, and they emphasized it even if you don't have the captions on, which I did the second time. But if you don't, 
he just keeps saying his his catchphrase. Now you die. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like I he was so scary to me as a kid because of the the skull, the blood, the weight. He was just so vicious. And they also in in you know to use some pro wrestling terms uh, somewhere out there, Ken will will know <laughs> via sixth sense that I, I'm doing it. Uh, they do such a great job of putting him over, um, mm-hmm. of selling him as a threat because Mad Mardigan can't beat him with one stab. He can't even beat him with two stabs. He nope. has to triple stab him, trip him onto a sword, and then toss him off of a thing just to finish him. And after he killed his best friend, after yeah, after he's already killed Eric, and so you're you're like this guy won't go down. And so you, even though he is just an apparition here, potentially um, you, (laughs) you are afraid for Jade and you, and we know that Jade is, is as the kids say, shooketh. I mean, she's expressing this. She just killed her surrogate father. Yeah. After he pleaded for release from this curse, the curse that they are now dealing with, with Graydon. So it's like, she doesn't get to even process the trauma because it might happen again now to a member of her party. And I love the the tender moments she has with Kit. Some of them are funny. Um, like you two t- totally have the hots for each other, or whatever Borman mm-hmm. says. Like, and then they're they're like, what? and and which again, in a moment of recontextualization, now makes their kiss in the first one kind of like funnier because that means Kit was trying to kiss her and skip town. Like Mike dropped, I do really like you, bye. Yeah, and and you know, as opposed to that being ongoing girlfriends like maybe we fought at the time um they have they have yet to say the the l word to each other we've yet to hold hands and actually go on that first date um and i love that borman sort of being like borman like he's not as old as willow but he's not as young as the other ones he's sort of like an Mm -hmm. elder like the elder millennial like of the group uh, he's like the I, Gen Xer of the group. Yeah. Yes, yeah, exactly. He's, <laughs> he's got that energy is great. Um, mm-hmm. But then tender moments, like talking about killing Valentine and how she says that she hopes that Kit never has to do something like that, and how yeah. there's that distance there. The distance between them is, I think, being played understandably on both sides, which I love. I I, I think that it's hard sometimes to do uh, teenage to twenty somethings like romance problems drawn out over episodes and it still feel like both sides um of the argument are valid and they're pushing each other away but then still having love and still having great moments like catching each other with the swords and then being like oh it's you this castle's really messing with us they mm-hmm. feel so believable and and i feel for jade as you know the sh- it plays so much with tropes as we've been talking about inverting a lot of them Willow not being what we thought he would be 20 years later. Elora mm-hmm. certainly not being what we thought we would be. Kit is the most true to form. I'm a knight and I'm a knight. There is no surprise. Yes, I am as good as I say I am. I am going to be the first, you know, woman knight that the Shining Legions ever had of Galadorn. But her challenges come from realizing that it's a, it's a lifestyle of loss. And, and I think that that, you know, lingering over this, Aaron Kellyman has not, the, I want to say the hardest job because that's not fair because comedy is hard, but she has the, I would argue the least fun role. And it, it's hard to sell when even Willow gets to call people idiots and have fun. Like Jade has to be somber, um, which is sort of kind of what she did in solo too. Emphis Ness had to be very serious about what she was carrying and in Falcon and the winter soldier and in the green Knight. 
Yeah. I'm now realizing that Erin Kellerman always has to carry heaviness in her roles. I think she does a great job. She tends to do that, but the thing I like about uh, Jade is that Jade, uh, despite how dark her past is and how much loss she's experienced even recently, mm-hmm. she doesn't she has a very well-rounded sense of perspective for a younger person mm. um, because Kit is obviously spoiled. And I think for a spoiled person, she's actually more grounded than a lot of, of spoiled uh, characters could be. Yeah. Um, but Jade, what I, what I like about Aaron Kellerman's performance is she, unlike so she's great in solo and Falcon and the winter soldier. She's a talented uh, performer, but this this role has a few more layers to it in terms of being able to relax, being able to crack jokes. Um, she's not throwing out one-liners, but she is able to loosen up from time to time, scene mm. to scene. She's able to have these downbeat moments. And she has such natural chemistry with her, her co-stars. Yeah. Um, so I actually, I, I'm not ashamed to admit, I got a little choked up when she hugged Borman. Cause it really played for me. She is. He just, he was just like, yes, fellow warrior. This, this is what happens. And then her leaning into him felt so genuine. And then he broke the tension beautifully by saying, everyone's entitled to a one good cry per quest, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I, I really like that moment between them because they're talking about having to do something really awful, having to kill a man uh, if it comes down to it. But they're also relating to each other as people who have, frankly, been secondary citizens in this society at times, who have had to earn their place through sheer grit and fighting. And by by stature of their ability, mm-hmm. they they have they have um, status in this world. And Borman was a prisoner up until recently, but because he's so f- capable and because he has a history with Mad Mardigan, he has a chance at freedom now again. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, I love what you brought up there about about class and social standing because that is so much of what the first film did. Whether that was actual, you know, magical race relations, Nelwyn, Dakini, you know, mm-hmm. uh, brownies, uh, um, who we've still yet to get to. So we've got we got some brownies in the back half of the season coming up. Um, uh-huh. it, and I, yeah, I, I, know, I can't yeah. wait. I really can't wait. It's going to be great. Uh, but the the whole idea of them, yeah, being second class citizens and everything is something that is so Willow and Willow earned uh, high status within the context of his people and legendary status because of the events of the first film. But now we're seeing other types of people, you know, uh, we don't know where Jade's family comes from, but we know that they were seeking refuge and they died for nothing. I mean, they were just innocents and they were just yeah. killed. And, and with Borman, Borman's an interesting character and we'll talk about him and then we'll dig in a little bit more to Graydon because I don't want anyone to think we are brushing over some of that stuff. No. Um, with Borman is interesting. I noted on the last episode that he is a cynic because he has, uh, it's the disappointed optimist thing, right? Like mm-hmm. he it's deep down inside his rationale for why he thinks Mad Mardigan is gone is because he believes so much in Mad Mardigan. And he's like, well, if Mad Mardigan was here, we wouldn't be in this mess, you know? And, and we don't know what went down. We could have fun theorizing, but we might be here all night. I think it's, if I had to guess, I think it was probably Mad Mardigan being awesome and saying, 
get out of here and hide those two things in two different places while I hold off X. And maybe that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't, we don't know, but we know that Borman's like, Oh no, your dad found it. He found the Karis. We did it. But why is he in jail? What, what are the crimes? What is, what is his perspective? He's, he's in that Han Solo place that Mad Mardigan was in, in the first film. Mm-hmm. Okay. Who do you serve? And Sorshuk sort of, in a fun way, lays out his arc when he joins their quote unquote fellowship of, you won't do it for me and you won't do it for a pardon, but you'll do it for a debt to an old friend. And that was like, yeah, you are Mad Mardigan too, but the Mm -hmm. story knows you are. You're not just, we need a sarcastic rogue. You are actively going on the same journey as the knight you squired for. Um, and whereas Mad Mardigan's trials are very, uh, some of them are very eighties and comedic, like being a womanizer and dressing like a woman and pretending and all that stuff. Borman's here are more material greed. Like I want to get into that vault. I want to get into that vault. And the, and the show doesn't even tell you what the Beth Morta castle, the Nakmar castle vault has doesn't really matter. It's just that it's playing on his obsession and his paranoia. And when he starts to turn on Kit and he finally gets woken up out of it, that's a that's a, a poignant and scary moment because Borman's he's great when he's on your side, but in that moment it was like, whoa, this guy's serious business. Yeah, it was a reminder that um, you know, Borman is at his heart very noble, which mm-hmm. we pick up on. But he also, you know, is is trying to earn a buck when he can, uh, get a step up when he can. And um, given, you know, what he's been through, I can understand why he feels that way. Yeah. Um, and I love the obsession with the door. Um, you know, I speculated on all the things that could be behind that door. I was like, is it the wife? Is it the three uh wives of dracula is it uh mm. zarozo and daxos back there i don't know but like when he he just kept going back to it um regardless of what's behind it it wasn't important because we didn't see it was his obsession with it and um uh it, i i think that comes across very clearly and then on top of it you get that trademark borman humor where uh another one of my favorite lines it's very literal i hate you door <laughs> Yeah, I just kept rewinding that. I hate you, Doris Gray, and 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 you know, uh, Omar's delivery of, of is so <laughs> so right for this world. Um, I love the way you played that, yeah. and even when he realizes that, I, I, I love bigness through smallness. I love, mm-hmm. I love it. I love the contrasts in their tasks. You know, Kits is very, like you said, very Ari Aster. It's very heady. This painting, this tapestry, this visual. Yeah, uh, Kits has combat. Willows is, you know, doing the exorcism. Uh, everybody's is very gnarly and and larger than life, and his is just the I lost my thing. Like his is very small. And then when they're leaving and he sees it on his belt, he's kind of like, oh, okay, all right. Like he he had the the lowest stakes mm-hmm. challenge, but is probably the most changed, which I think is very interesting. I really relate to him though, because as someone who loses his wallet and other <laughs> yeah. personal effects that are important to my day-to-day life on a regular basis, I'm always scouring my apartment, my car. Like, mm-hmm. why do I betray myself like this? Why? Yeah. 
why is it like this? And I felt for Borman in Knockmar Castle because he was his own worst enemy. Yeah. How do you feel just in general? You know, we're, we're, we're going to be wrapping up soon, but how do you feel about this? And, and, and we should note now they are aware of it. At least Kit and Jade are aware that he's been lying because Kit mm-hmm. says, the, hey, you said you didn't find it. How do you feel about him hiding the 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 Lux Arcana, which is the key to the Chimerian Curus? Which, by the way, those those are just, I just love saying sentences like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it's I love that. Like you said earlier um, about about the butter and things like that. Like they're just like, what's fun lore? Let's write it. Um, Eel jelly nymph butter. <laughs> yeah, just things like that. Like so, he has the Lux Arcana. How do you feel about this guy? hiding it from them what what do you think that that's saying about his character because he is also yeah guess he's being duplicitous and he's hiding that he has it but he is also the one that clarifies it's not a weapon it's a shield what is there to be hidden if it's if it's protective like what what is the message there you think at least at this point i i trust borman's core enough that i feel like Anything he withholds from these people, he has his reasons. I don't think it means he's off the hook completely. Yeah. I just think he's been through certain things. And whatever happened with Mad Mardigan, he's the only one who knows the whole story. Um, and there's a reason he's so obsessed with getting this Curus back. Uh, um, and I think it ultimately has something to do with getting his friend back. Yeah. That's what I want to believe. Because he's obsessed with with Mad Mardigan in a very sweet way. He he's he seems to be holding out hope that Mad Mardigan's gonna come back wherever he is. And I think the Lux Arcana, the Chimerian Kiras, all of it has to do with that. And why I think he and Kit keep overlapping is naturally she wants to find her father. That's why she resents Alora in the beginning, because she thinks Alora's responsible for her dad disappearing in a lot of ways. Mm. And so now Borman's the next best connection to Mad Mardigan. And so she keeps going back to him and they have these conversations like, please tell me a little bit more. Tell me a little bit more. And and I think we're going to get more and more of that story. But I, 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 I think his obsession with it has to do with that. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's a great read. And, you know, the last character, um, I mean, we could talk for hours about all these people, but we touched mm-hmm. on it. We touched on it in the context of Willow and of Alora, but specifically focusing on Graydon. Um, demonic possession as a child. Some really gnarly stuff happened to him to fix that, it seems. He's got mm-hmm. these uh, whole chest's worth of scars. We get the flash of his father telling him, you will do this marriage so that we can have an heir to Tyrus Lane. It's very clear. Like From Sorcia's point of view, it's about unity. From yeah. the Haster point of view, it's about control. And we know now that he's a pawn. He's brushed with darkness before. It's trying to take him again. It almost feels like they are thematically setting him up to be sort of not just paralleling Kit and Eric as like, you know, the pressures of the, the, of the heirs and of the successors, but also as anti-Elora, like putting Elora mm-hmm. in a kind of romance. Because I think there's something there. I think... You know, even if she she seems still firmly on Team Eric, like I she, she's like, I know I love Eric. This is why I love Eric. I love him for the other things, the intangibles, whatever she says. But this connection that they have, it's like goodness has always come for her. We know this. Right. Even as a baby, 
she was making choices. One of my favorite things about Willow is that Willow was told, no, the baby likes you. <laughs> the yeah. baby chose you as their guardian. Like she's always had fairies and brownies and prophecies and Nelwins and Dakini. And everyone has always rallied around her. Now we know that evil has always rallied around Graydon. And mm-hmm. I think it's a smart thing to do with the character who up until this point was just the bookish. I'm afraid of things and I don't want to die. Like even, even in uh, uh, episode three, um, you get that moment where he's saving, he's, he's cutting Alora loose. And she's like, was no one else available? Right. Now, we, now we find out that that guy, this nerd um, is, a, has been touched by the devil since childhood it's a really really interesting inverse that i really loved i i'm intrigued by it as well because um he he the scars um have a lot of implications um and his his use of the word shame he's ashamed Mm -hmm. um willow reinforces that by digging at the family name uh which come on willow i get that you're like i get that you've got you're salty but like don't kick the kid while he's down. He's, he's already like obviously struggling. Um, but I, I like that. Yes. We get the flashback that gives us the literal like events that happened, which is quite the revelation. But what I, what I find even more interesting is that Graydon has obviously been tortured since a very young age. He's Mm -hmm. been, he's been dealing with this his whole life. Yeah. Um, he knows cursed narcotic fluently, uh, mm. probably as a result of his experience as a child. And, and despite all that, he's sweet. He cares about other people. Mm-hmm. Um, he cares about his family, even though his father resents him. Um, it's, it's obvious to me that he's trying to be a decent person. And yeah. I find that really relatable. Um, uh, even though he's he's obviously been tortured all his life, and it it made me care even more about him. And I think Tony Revolori is doing a really good job with the character. Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything you just said. It it has endeared us more to him. It has recontextualized things, such as his his knowledge of languages, the way that he immediately was like it's bad magic, the way that he could identify mm-hmm. it immediately in the previous episode. We we on our, this show is going to play as uh when we do the the willow binge when it's over and it's just one sit down it's going to play so beautifully and i i love the way that they're setting things up i love how even you know this prince that we misunderstood uh underestimated that we that we thought was just a, a kind of a dweeb is also playing on this are you a child of darkness and can you turn away from that the same stuff that that kid is dealing with and so now even the 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 unlikely betrothed are facing a similar problem you know hers is bavmorta and his is undefined but there's that parallel there Mm -hmm. and everybody is dealing with good hanging over them and bad hanging over them and then that's the great thing about having willow as your lead is that he's somewhere in between is that he is now at the end of this even though he's our title character and our legacy hero, he's now the one that we percentage-wise know the least about, which is such an interesting way. When when Ray met Luke Skywalker, yeah, we knew everything about Luke Skywalker. We didn't know much about her. 
when they leave Nakmar now and it's daylight and the Gales are watching them and spying, suddenly you realize, I know your story, I know your story, I know your story, I know your story, and I know your story. But those 20 years for you, Willow, I still don't know. Yeah. Why are you the way that you are? Why are your limitations what they are? What is your fear? What have you shared or not shared? We know that Silas knew uh, about the vision and everything. And we know that Sorsha does too. But does Sorsha know the extent of the vision? Does she know about the death part of it? There's still so much ambiguity. And you you joked earlier about crying about, you know, the fate of Willow's family and Migosh and the village. But I, I, I'm starting to think we might get a cold open that's pretty brutal. I yeah, I think it's gonna completely eclipse the Tuscan Raiders and Boba Fett. Yeah. Like I'm I'm bracing myself. I'm bracing myself, but I um I appreciate that a lot of this um a lot of this context is is coming across through Warwick's performance. Mm-hmm. It's obvious that Willow's trying to bury things about his experience. He's trying I think he's trying to represent the best aspects of himself for the betterment of his group. He's not, it, it's, there is pride for sure, yeah. but I think he's also trying to project confidence uh, for the safety of his group uh, so that they take faith in him. And uh, now it's twice now he's done magic and it's knocked him off his feet and mm-hmm. I'm getting worried about him. I really am because I I think I think in fantasy, especially it's important for magic to have a cost. Yeah. Um, and in Lord of the Rings, even though wizards are literally like immortal spirits in a way, there's still a cost to their magic. They can't just walk around and just wave their staff and just fix everything. Yeah. That's not how wi- wizards work in Lord of the Rings, even Harry Potter, where magic is a little more casual we know it's through decades of learning and, and, and mastering these spells so that when we see Dumbledore and Voldemort fight, there's impact there. We understand yeah. that they're, they're not just waving their wands and, 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 and yawning. Yeah. They are, they are being incredibly strategic. So I like that that is happening in Willow because every time he has to do something, it's to, it's to help somebody Mm-hmm. But it's taking a toll on him. And um, uh, I, the fact that Silas didn't want him to use any of it to even save his own life, I think says a lot. Yeah, I loved that moment. I loved how powerful it was. And again, how George it was like mm-hmm. evil hangs on, good is willing to let go. And and Silas having that moment of I lived a good life, I think really shook Willow. Like you said, the young character's being young characters callous whether they realize it or not or they're caught up in their own stuff this man is grieving i love you know it's very clear symbolism and it should be because this is for all ages leaving in its daylight then you get that dialogue like you know i'm paraphrasing but he looks at a he's like maybe you will be a great sorceress like i think that this haunted house experience is going to create a softer better leader out of Willow for this group for the second half of the season. I think he has now seen the best of his, his many protégés because he's Mm -hmm. the dad to, he's the dad to several young heroes, all of which are different. And I think that he's um, going to, and, and, you know, further context, like if he did indeed lose his son, well, 
add so much to a lot of this. Um, yeah. Uh, once that is confirmed and probably will be um, th the entire idea that he, he leaves this, it was his, as much as it was Alora's homecoming, it was him coming back to the place where he won, but didn't win. And now he can finally say, I went back to Nokmar, I faced it again, and F yeah, we did win. We mm -hmm. did actually, we all overcame. So now when he thinks about that place, he'll no longer think about just the sleight of hand and just barely scraping by. He walked out of that place victorious, um, at least for this moment. He, he said it himself, you know, my friends. Yeah. You know, when, and, and, and when the, the, the image of Rizel and Sorsha storm in, mm -hmm. and then Kit and Jade and, and Borman are bringing up the rear, um, you start to realize, like, you know, maybe Willow will remain superficially grumpy. Yeah. But we know something clicked into place for him with this. It, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, and that's a, that's a type of character that I like, like, you know, Gandalf the white still dunks on Pippin. Mm -hmm. uh, Luke at rise of Skywalker is still like, what are you doing? Even look at uh, like uh, Henry Jones senior, like at, you know, he's, he even, he's still Connery at the end of that movie, yeah. even though they've had that experience. So it, it's not going to be an older Warwick Davis without quips and without uh, making fun of these young heroes. But I think that now, we're really going to see like master apprentice training. We're going to see a lot of the stuff that we've seen in the trailer. I mean, one of the banners for this show is, you know, magic beam versus magic beam and some sort of duel. And I think that, um, you know, maybe Alora will be the key to unlocking something in him as much as he is in her. And I like the generational give and take that's happening and that it, it requires the young and the old to, to rely on each other in, in special ways is, is very cyclical and very important. And, and uh, like you said, love to see more Sorsha. I'm excited for that. So uh, do you have anything else? Cause I know you have notes. I know you have quotes. Do you have anything as we're wrapping up that you wanted to bring up that we haven't touched on? Um, I want a statue, a statue of an Eagle fighting a horse. Um, Correct. Correct. Uh, I, what, what a specific thing too. That was a great line. Yeah. Um, I really relate to kit talking to herself um when mm. she's like annoyed with something and just venting about it to herself i've mm. done that in my life um so i really appreciate when she's like going on she's giving that speech and she's like talking about um brined uh, a possum platter and she's like i'll sprinkle it on my bum and and make my gentle wind smell like cinnamon and mm -hmm. and just that's for nobody but kit yeah she's not burning anybody she's just annoyed and 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 i appreciate that um but no all the all the imagery we discussed uh was was top notch um and i think for them to bring back elements of the original film but in a way that was really interactive was just the the perfect balance of being of using nostalgia in an effective way and um uh, it does help that there's only one Willow movie and there's not like, you know, all these sequels and stuff to, to deal with. Yeah. But um, Kazdan is doing such a good job of building on what we know and not loading us up with exposition. The exposition is always interesting to me because we don't get too much of it all, uh, all at once. It's, it's parceled out. And then there's a lot of, of things thrown at us that don't have a lot of depth 
or specificity to them. And I like that those references even more. Yeah, I, I like the ability to, uh, I believe, as David Lynch has called it, room to dream. Like, mm-hmm. what's behind the door? I don't know. What, what, what is this? I don't really know. What is the blood of the six? It doesn't really, I mean, maybe it will matter later, but it gives you a lot of really nice dressing for everything. Mm-hmm. Lots of names, mythology. But again, for that child lens, a child knows the Gales serve the crone. Bavmorda served the crone. The crone, evil. Boom. Really all you need. Mm-hmm. And and it, it's able to be as uh, much like in a Star Wars-y way. You can dig as much as you want in and know the ins and outs of every single Glubshido and everyone and every planet and every race and everything. But for the core of what you need, um, that's why a Haunted House episode works is is that when you come out, it is daylight. And I, and I, I like that it was here. I like that. It was the middle chapter. I like the placement. And I, and I think that the ending cutting to Eric as our, our sort of last character to talk about, he doesn't mm-hmm. get a lot, but you know, black hole sun starts to play. Um, and here he is in the immemorial city. It's our first look at it in the show proper. We glimpse it in the trailers, but he's looking around. He's alone. We're not sure how much of his voice coming out of Graydon can be trusted the it's hot i'm in a cell and whatever seems to not entirely be accurate he does Mm -hmm. seem like he has room to walk around but again is is anything that he's seeing real can anything there be trusted looks like a nice place right but also a fallen place which is very interesting like tiris lane when we first saw it in the movie yeah Uh, it made me think of that a lot um i i i love the tip of the iceberg storytelling with immemorial city um Mm -hmm. i don't need to know more i'm i'm just it was cool to you know finally get a glimpse of it and 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 a long overdue return of eric because uh as much as i'm enjoying the show we could have had one scene with him yeah Uh, like it would have gone a long way uh but i'm just glad to have him back now um, and that's a testament to all these actors. They they really put a lot of work into the casting because that first episode had to set everything up. It had to reveal who Alora was. It had to introduce all these new characters. And the fact that they did all that in like 20 to 25 minutes before we got, we got reunited with Willow, they did the work. And uh, so now like these episodes two through four really have been like just um flowing really well for me absolutely so as we are rounding out here i would say uh hour and a half in yeah we're giving it a positive review uh we don't we don't we don't star or score things here but we really loved this one i loved how dark it went i'm excited to see what other genres it tackles next and i'm especially excited for you uh being a dedicated willow fan and everybody else that grew up on this that has loved oh, yeah. it um to have this and uh you know we've got some more guests that are gonna be coming up throughout the season but this will not be the last time you and i talk willow because much like with much like with house of the dragon and much like with rings uh i do want to do some end of the season like get the whole fellowship together me you can like yeah we'll we'll do something for sure so but in the meantime uh tell everybody where they can find you on socials um you know the hive doesn't exist right now twitter might not exist every day it's under threat hive is in hibernation yes yes hives in hibernation and then but you know for now where can they find some more adam collins yeah so um 
Uh, first and foremost, on Twitter and Letterboxd at Eisenthor, A I Z A N T H O R. Um, Marisol McKee and I um, are launching our own channel. Um, we have a couple of uh, videos that are um, in the final stages of the editing process, um, but we're just starting a channel to cover um not only film but a lot of topics that we find interesting and we're we're not biting off more than we can chew we're going to do these as we can for fun and um just follow us on twitter so that you can keep tabs on that um because we'll be doing a big unveiling in the weeks to come and uh we're we're always gonna we're gonna be looking for more guests in the future too so i'll be in touch alden because um like you said i i'd hate for this to be the last time we talk Oh, it absolutely will not be. And I, I love you and Marisol and what you guys have done in this space, in the movie space, just leading with passion, sometimes leading with fury and vengeance in the field, <laughs> the field of trivia. Um, you've both yes. held uh, world title gold for your knowledge base and everything. So I know that there are a lot of people that are going to be really excited to see what the two of you do together uh, in terms of this new channel, which we will absolutely uh, be promoting and sharing. And I can't wait to do um uh, appearances and crossovers and it's always great to get new perspectives so thanks for joining me today as pleasure. for uh, of course it was a pleasure to have you i mean i feel like i went and found my own lore master my own high <laughs> with a high aldwin of casually talk i'm now. the billy barty oh yes yes 100 yes. yeah. <laughs> um as for us casually talk you can see it at the top here if you're watching on youtube but if you're not it's at casually talk everywhere all the all the different platforms facebook hive twitter um, we're not on Instagram, but uh, Ken and I are personally. So you can find me, that Alden Diaz, T-H-A-T-A-L-D-E-N-D-I-A-Z, wherever you get your social media fix. Again, it's a weird landscape, but I'm there. Ken Knapsack everywhere. I Ken Knapsack, all his links are down below. Uh, be sure to buy uh, for Christmas, Why We Love Star Wars, Ken's amazing Star Wars book. It's an excellent read. Uh, check us out on the podcast feed, leave stars, leave reviews. But for right now, we're already in the back half of the season. We can't wait for Willow episode five, six, and beyond. Uh, I don't know exactly what perfect Willow parting words there are outside of the fact that uh, let's go eat some muffins, Adam. Let's go eat some muffins. How about that? Uh, but yeah. without the actual, uh, you know, possum stomachs. We will not be having possum stomachs. Uh, but again, for right now, for me, for Adam, we will catch you next time right here on Casterly Talk. Casterly Talk.